I invite you to open your Bibles to this morning's text, which can be found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Oh, Father in heaven, sexual purity is a weighty matter. There were tears after the first service of a mother burdened for a son. And there will be tears again. And Lord, we want there to be tears unto repentance, not unto death. And so come, Lord, and by your Spirit, brood over the the people downtown and brood over the people here in Roseville. And let there be a weight of glory a high sense of expectation that as you have met us in song there and here, you will meet us in the Word. The Word of God is a hammer that breaks in pieces and the Word of God is a healing balm. It's a sword and it's a sweetness. God, help me to deliver it in faithfulness to your written Word so that it becomes a power here and downtown. I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Three weeks now, we've been working on this series, a little mini-series between Romans 8 and 9. And two weeks ago, you recall, it was the nets dropped with confidence in the Lord Jesus and with humility like Peter falling before the Lord because of his unworthiness and our treasuring him above all things so that he would make us good man fishers. So priority that I chose to make number one was personal evangelism in Bethlehem. As we go to Roseville and as we're there downtown, let's be people utterly devoted to personal evangelism. Last week, I moved from Luke 5 to Isaiah 58. And in Isaiah 58, we lifted up social justice and practical acts of mercy. And I said, Bethlehem, let's give ourselves to the homeless. Let's give ourselves to the poor. Did you read about Zimbabwe this week in World Magazine? You read about Sudan, you read about Ethiopia, you read about North Korea. Oh, how I pray that Bethlehem will not 
be deceived by the fact that we live in the Disney world of the universe called America as though this were normal. And so I called you, let your light go up like the dawn as you pour yourself out for the poor, Bethlehem. Seeking the lost and seeking social justice and now today, seeking sexual purity. I pray that we will not be a kind of church that chooses between those two things. A little warning now to any of you who have a cynical mindset because you walked in here and you weren't at the last two messages and you hear this, oh, they're going to talk about sexual purity. Christians hung up again with sex. Not quite. We like our sex just fine. Those roses don't come from nowhere. We got hang-ups, though. I've got a hang-up with people who think that you have to choose between being passionate for social justice and passionate for sexual purity. You got to form a denomination that does soul winning. And you got to form a denomination that does the social justice on the street thing. And you gotta form a denomination of people who are really worked up about their sex lives so that they keep out of bed with each other. Nobody can get it together. Well, that's not true. Jesus got it together. Single to the day of his death and pure. And nobody saved souls and loved justice like Jesus Christ. So here we have three Sundays. Three S's, if you like S's. Seeking the lost, social justice, sexual purity. And there will be more before I get to Romans 9, including missions. But you haven't thought of an S for that one yet. So here we are at sexual purity, and I am aware that both downtown and here, there are a lot of kids in the house. Children. My Talitha is in San Diego, or she'd be here, and I'd be talking right to her on the front row there. So I've got a seven-year-old. She just turned seven on Saturday. And I know how I think about talking about sex to six-year-olds. So if you're in that category, listen up for a minute, because I don't want all of this to be unintelligible, though some of it might be. Look at verse 3, and then I'm going to try to put some definitions here that six-year-olds can understand. Verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is your holiness, your purity, you could say. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, let's take that phrase, sexual immorality. The Greek word is pornia, from which we get pornography. What is sexual immorality in this text? It's several things. Let me use some words. It's fornication, first of all. Pornia usually means fornication. Now, a good seven-year-old definition of fornication is when a man and a woman live together as if they were married when they're not married. That's what I would say to Talitha, and I do say it. She asks me kinds of questions all the time. So it's when a man and a woman sleep together or touch each other or live together in ways that God only designed for a mommy and a daddy to do. 
This is not something you should do with just any other person of the opposite sex. Paul, quoting Genesis 2, 24, A man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And that one flesh reality is not for anybody except those that leave and cleave in a covenant of God-ordained marriage. That's sexual relations or sexual impurity before marriage. There's another word for it in marriage. It's called adultery. This is the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Seven-year-olds who've been learning their catechism should know this word by now. Question number what? 69 or so. What is the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment is you shall not commit adultery. What does the seventh commandment teach us to do? Question number 70. Be pure in thought and word and action. But we can get more specific than that. Children, the command of adultery is one of the most precious commands you have ever heard because it means mommy and daddy should stay together, stay in the same bedroom, sleep together, he should walk up behind her at the sink and kiss her on the back of the neck, pat her on the behind. And do that with no other woman on the face of the earth. Ever. So mommy, stay with daddy. Daddy, stay with mommy. That's the sweetest music a child could ever hear. And thou shalt not commit adultery is for children. However, we have fornication here, we have adultery here, these two forms of sexual impurity. That's not all that this text is about. Look at verse 5. Lead into it with verse 4. Possess your own vessel. Now that may mean your own body or wife. I'm not going to go into the, the issue there. Uh, your translation probably says control your body. We'll just take it at that face value. Possess your own vessel, control your own body in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion. Now, there you have lustful passion. And that's not any behavior yet. So this text is about what you do with your body in fornication, what you do with your body in adultery, and what you do with your head and with your emotions and your passions that lead you into what? Pornography on the Internet. Late night cable TV, perhaps. Magazines, books, videos that are totally wrong for you to be feasting your mind on. Or into kind of a fantasy life that has you so in its grip and the masturbation that is so often embedded in it. This text is about that. One of the reasons I'm preaching on this is because on Tuesday... In our staff meeting, Brad Nelson, our minister for youth, was very frank with his burden for the young people. And it's not just young people. There's an epidemic of Internet pornography use, even in the church. And we know this. And therefore, I want to say something to all of you, single, married, male, and female. Don't you females think you're off the hook here? Think, oh, he's good. He's talking to these guys. I'm not just talking to guys. I have prayed with women in bondage to pornography after services. There are differences between males and females. Big ones. 
good ones. I'm glad about them. But sin is not one of them. So we're talking about fornication. We're talking about adultery. We're talking about mental activity in terms of fantasies. We're talking about bondage to the use of other people's bodies, male and female, to stoke our engines. It's a huge problem. And I would like to help you with it. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to help you. So I hope that you are hungry for help this morning that we all need. Let me point you to the alternative to sexual impurity that's mentioned three times in this text. Verse 1, verse 3, verse 7. Verse 1, it's stated like this. How you ought to walk and please God. Verse 3, it's stated like this. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Verse 7, it's stated like this. God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification or holiness. So three times he says, here's what I'm after. He doesn't just nail the negative thing. It's a sexual impurity. Ooh, bad. He says, I'm after a walk that pleases God. I'm after the will of God in sanctification. I'm after sanctification and purity of heart. Now, when God calls you to himself, and and most of you in this room, I assume he has called you wonderfully, decisively, savingly. And most of you downtown, I assume he's called you to himself. And when he called you to himself, he clothed you with the righteousness of Jesus through faith. And he gave you a calling. He gave you a burden and a passion. And it is sexual purity. Nobody's there completely. Nobody. You may have wonderful triumphs in your life. And then a thought out of the blue. And perhaps a nurturing of it. We're not there. None of us is there where we ought to be. Now the way this message is designed is to move from the what to the why to the how. And I just finished the what. It's about sexual impurity. Avoid it. And sexual purity, embrace it. Now, I'm really eager to get to the how. I really want to get to the practical how. But I can't miss some of the pieces of the text that are all about the why. So let me quickly mention five incentives or five reasons why everyone here and everyone there downtown should be burdened to pursue sexual purity and should fight sexual impurity with all your might. Number one. The motive or the incentive of pleasing God, verse 1, in the end of the verse, how you ought to walk and please God. Sexual purity pleases God. Incentive number 2, verse 3, the incentive of doing the will of God. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I used to teach in a college like this, right across the way over at Bethel, A stream of students would come in every year and they would ask, how can I know the will of God for my life? And I know what they had in mind. They wanted to know who to marry and what major to take and what jobs to pursue. And I said, I know exactly what the will of God is for your life. They said, good, tell me. Holiness, sexual purity. Pursue it with all your might. He'll take care of the details. Isn't that a clear verse? Really clear. This is the will of God for you that you abstain from sexual immorality. The will of God's not an ambiguous thing here. 
It's clear that's incentive number two because Christians love the will of God. That's the meaning of being born again. We stop loving the wrong things and we love the will of God. Third incentive, the incentive of honor in verse 4, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel or control his own body in sanctification and honor. Now, that little verse right there makes me think that maybe the word vessel, which isn't even translated in the NIV and the ESV, does refer to wives. Because Peter said, she's the weaker vessel. And then he said, live together with her in honor. So you got two links with 1 Peter 3, 7, vessel and honor, which makes me think he's probably really fighting for the women here. Saying, oh, if you have a wife and she's your weaker vessel... Honor her. Sex is about honor. It's about honorable behavior. Oh, that there would be a new generation where we would restore chivalry and honor. Men would not use either living or visual portrayals of women. And women would not use novel or visual portrayals of men in action doing the chivalrous things they wish their husband would do and then going to bed the way you're supposed to go to bed and dreaming another dream besides the one you got. Oh, men and women, let us be noble. Incentive number four, Christian love. I would love a half an hour on this one. Do you see it in verse 6? That no man transgress and defraud his brother in this matter. Now, he is talking directly to men at this point. But notice who's involved here. A brother who's probably the husband or the father of the woman this man is being tempted to get involved with. In other words, sexual sin is never just about you and another person. Never! It's always got a dad involved. Any weeping dads here? Look, you get involved in one of those girls or those guys' lives. you got a dad to deal with in heaven. you got a mom's heart that you're helping break. You think when you sit there looking at the internet that this... Girl doesn't have a dad. He's weeping his eyes out because of what she's doing with her body. And the mom. And the grandmama. Maybe there's only a godly grandmama. Just pleading with the Lord. Bring her back. Bring him back. And we, using her. Using him. Oh, what will you say to grandma in that? when she must watch her beloved damned and you helped it. Incentive number five, God's vengeance. Verse six, second half of the verse. Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. There's the incentive. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before, and now solemnly warn you. So I do what Paul did. I solemnly warn you. 
If you take God, set Him aside, and make a treasure and a pleasure out of sexual sin, you will meet His wrath. Five incentives, five reasons why we should fight impurity and embrace sexual purity with all of our might. What sexual immorality? Why? These five reasons. And now I turn to the how. And here is where we, I pray, will get help. Oh, may God come and give liberty to those of you who are most ensnared with this particular kind of sinning. Oh, how I wish there were an hour to talk about details and strategies and tactics. I have developed over my 56 years, or I guess you could say my, what, 43 or 4 years of post-puberty life, I have developed many practical warfare strategies. I don't have time to give them all now. I'm going to stay right with what I see in this text, but go go to the chapter on lust in future grace and see my heart and see some strategies, or go to the internet and get this printout. I mentioned this in the first service, and some enterprising guys ran off and printed 150 of these. So here at the north site, you can get this little piece of paper when you go out, some of you. And downtown, I don't know if they're there. Maybe somebody could run, do it now off the internet, and print out uh, the the little article I did called Anthem, A-N-T-H-E-M. A, avoid, N, no, T, turn, H, hold, E, enjoy, M, move. Every one of those has a sermon behind it and a strategy in my life for how I defeat lust in my life. I have to develop very practical strategies. You have about five seconds to deal with an immoral thought before it masters you. What do you do in the first five seconds, women and men? This is my effort And I'm not going to talk about it now. I'm going to go to the text and try to find one thing. Now, let me say as I move into this, that I do not mainly have in view a strategy that's a quick fix for this afternoon's battle. It will help this afternoon, I believe. I have in mind rather 10 years from now, And 30 and 60, do you know, young people, that some of you will be struggling with sexual temptation in 60 years as strongly as you do today? And the question will be, have you learned any battle strategies that work in Christ? I'm much more interested in the long term than I am this afternoon. I want to save marriages in 20 years. I want you to walk pure down the aisle with your daughter. I want you to look in the face of a wrinkled 75-year-old wife and say, we made it. I care about that. I'll be gone when that happens. But I'll be watching. The Lord will let me see some of that. I do believe. I'm preaching for that. If you don't make it this afternoon, God can handle that. But oh, get on a path of purity that will work in the long term for your life. So here we go, verse 4 and 5. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, and here comes the key phrase, 
like the Gentiles who do not know God. When you give way to sexual lust or sexual misconduct, you act like the Gentiles who don't know God. I infer from this, knowing God is the pathway to sexual purity. i say it again. Knowing God is the pathway to sexual purity. To which I can hear some cynical person ready to nullify verse 5 say, Yeah, right. As if there aren't a thousand world-class theologians who aren't in the bondage of sexual sin sleeping around at their academic meetings in New Orleans. So what good is all this God-knowledge for them? I've seen them. I've seen them. I've been there. I've been to New Orleans. And I could name the academic societies I have in mind. I've watched them go to the strip clubs. These teachers of religion. So you ask me, rightly, so what good is all this knowledge of God? And here's my answer. And I say it with tremendous confidence. They don't know God. There is a universe of difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Listen, if you're struggling with internet pornography, labor to know God the way you know those images. I know about them, but I say with my hand on the Bible, as your pastor, I have never looked at internet pornography in my life. But I know about it. I get enough of those little advertisements that pop up to make me know what would really be there if I followed them through. But some of you know it. What do I mean by that? You have a relationship with it. You're drawn into it. You embrace it. Things happen when it happens. And that's what it means to know God. Do you want to know God? Or just know about God the way some people know about internet pornography? They don't know God. They don't know God. This text says, by implication in verse 5, Knowing God is the pathway to sexual purity. Now, I ask this question. Why would God ordain that purity be through the pathway of knowing Him? Let's ask that question. Why would God ordain that sexual purity be obtained along the path of knowing God? There's a reason. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 6.18-20. to Let me read it for you. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside his body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You know why you have a body? Tall, short, pretty, plain, brawny, feeble. You know why you have a body? That you may make God look precious by the way you use it. That's why you have a body. By the way you eat. By the TV programs you watch. By what you use your body-earned money to buy. By what you do with your leisure. By the way you decorate your face and wear your clothes. It's not a sermon mainly about how you adorn your body. But I'll put into parenthesis here. Frankly, I'm very pleased with Bethlehem. I like the way you dress. There's a lot of variety out here. I like variety. Some people do like I do. Almost nobody, but that's okay. (laughs) And it's all over the map. And that says something about God that's very precious to me. That's another sermon. And I'm I'm not at all worked up about the makeup in this church. Seems like most of the women in this church have got that figured out. Pretty simple. And it doesn't look to me like women are spending 80 hours in front of the mirror. Or men. And I just think that speaks volumes about where our treasure is. It isn't here. It's there. And we want a heart. And so it says to women and men, work on your heart. Don't work on your face so much. Work on your heart. Don't fret about your wrinkles. Don't fret about the hair that's falling out on top. So when you bend over, the light shines off your head. Don't worry about that. I mean, the fact that I'm even mentioning it shows I'm a sinner, right? Rather, work on this heart so that you use your face and your hands and your legs and your voice and your eyes and your sexual organs in order that you might make God look really good. That is really valuable, really precious, your treasure more than anything else. That's why you have a body. Now, with that premise in front of us, we can answer the question, why has God ordained that we be delivered from sexual misconduct along the pathway of knowing God? You got it figured out yet? Say it like this. If we were able to get victory over our fantasy life, victory over our dealings with pornography, victory over fornication, victory over adultery, without it being through the knowledge of God, He would get no glory with it. In other words, God is concerned not only with what you do with your body and what you do with your emotions, He's concerned about why you do it, what's driving you, what's churning you in here. That makes a difference to God. Because if you come to sexual purity through knowing God, God will get the glory. If you come to sexual purity along some self-improvement program, you will find yourself in bondage to another idol. Moralism. Legalism, 
or some other ism, but not the Lord of glory. That's why liberty must come through knowing God. Which is what verse 5 clearly implies. The pathway to purity is along the path of knowing God. So here's the way I close. Let's be a little more specific and a little more practical. What is it, you might ask me, what is it about God that I need to know? I mean, even asking the question like that is a little misleading, isn't it, after what I said about the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Yet I have to ask the question, what is it about God? Or maybe I should ask it like this. uh, Knowing God in what aspects or what regards or what way? What is it specifically that I could get a handle on about God that would help me get free? And There are three things in this text about God that are massively helpful, at least to me. I pray they are to you. Number one, know the patience of God. Now hear me, strugglers and failers, all you failing saints, hear me on this patience of God. Look at verse one. Oh, this this helped me so much. This over the years, these kinds of more and more texts in the Bible have helped me and encouraged me so much because I tend to be the kind of person that Paul is not in this verse, and I'll tell you what that is in a minute. Verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, and then he puts in this, just as you actually do walk, what a, what a merciful thing to say. That's hardly true. <laughs> That's not very true. It's a little bit true. Just enough to justify it in the Holy Bible. And I say exactly the same thing looking at you. You know how you ought to walk and please God just as you are doing. And some of you are sitting there saying, if you knew what I did last night, you wouldn't say that to me. I would. Believer, I would. Because of what follows these words. That you excel still more. That's a breath of fresh air to me. I am a kind of husband and a kind of pastor and leader who tends to be very all or nothing. You give me a pack of gum, I'll eat all five sticks in five minutes. If I ever touched alcohol, I'd be an alcoholic. And that's not what this text is like. This text is not an all or nothing text, is it? He says to a people who have a long way to go, here you all know what you're supposed to do. Way to go, you're doing it a little bit. Now, let's go, Bethlehem. More, more sexual purity. More sexual purity. Because as soon as you say more sexual purity, you're admitting there's impurity in the church. And I know it's out there. And you know it's out there. And what if I had to be an all or nothing preacher and we had an all or nothing God who said, every little improvement you make is worthless because of every failure you make. What if we had a God like that? And you know what? There are a lot of Christians who see God that way. We have quoted the text about our righteousnesses as filthy rags so often we can't even believe this text. That is not what that text means, by the way. That text does not mean that a Christian cannot please God in his behavior. 
When you do something by faith in the Holy Spirit, according to God's word, it is not filthy rags. It is pleasing to God. Of course it's got contamination in it. I've said to you before that every good deed I've ever done, I have to repent of. Which means I know it's contaminated. My motives are never pure. That's life in this fallen world. And isn't it good to have an apostle and to have a God who says, you're living this way, now really live this way. You're making some progress. Come on, let's do better. You got one victory this week on a Tuesday night. Come on, two victories next week. And he's willing to forgive you if you will fight and ask for forgiveness. That's the first thing. He's patient. He's not an all or nothing God. None of us in this room, not a single man or woman or child in this room is where you ought to be in the Christian life. So I could just hammer you to death in view of that, couldn't I? Well, what good would that do? Paul didn't do it that way. He just said, you making some progress? Let's go, Bethlehem. Come on, let's do better. Second, know the power of God. First the patience, now the power. Now I'm I'm drawing this from the previous chapter and you can back your eyes up to it if you would like. This is very precious and powerful to me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. Chapter 3, verse 12. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another as we do for you so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. There it is. Before our God the Father at His coming. Now do you hear what's implied here? Paul is praying for them in a kind of benedictory style. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Make you downtown. Make you here. Isn't that amazing? Keep reading. May the Lord make you Increase and abound in love for one another and for all. All, even those people on the internet, those people on the videos, those people in the movies. May he make you love those women and love those men so that you can't begin to participate in their destructive behavior that's sending them to destruction. May you love them. Love everybody you see on the internet. Everybody you see on the internet. Love that person. Love that woman. Love that man. And pray for them. Can you pray and masturbate with them at the same time? You cannot. Do we love them? This text says, God will do that. It says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for all so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. There it is. May he make you abound in love so that he may establish you in holiness. Holiness is what we're after here. Sexual purity. And where does it come from? It comes from God. May you, make Bethlehem, abound in love to all and be perfected in holiness step by step until the last day so that when you come in the twinkling of an eye, we will be in Christ And changed into the image of Jesus perfectly. Oh, Bethlehem, know the power of God. Here you are alone at work. 
It's a break time. The Internet's free. Everybody's gone out of the office. Think of God in two ways. He's not just there to zap you. He's there to help you. He's there to help you. Cry to Him. Cry to Him as your hand is moving on that mouse. Say, oh God, lift my hand. And then lift it. And when you lift it, say, praise God. Fight, brothers and sisters. Fight for your life. Finally, number three. First, the patience of God. Then the power of God to help you, not destroy you. And finally, the preciousness of God. Patience, power, preciousness. Where do I get this in the text? Simply from the word God. I mean, what's the definition of God? Isn't God the being who's most precious in the universe, most valuable? Isn't God the highest treasure that ever was? This is what it means to be God. Would you not agree? It means God. G-O-D means most precious being in the universe. Would anybody disagree with that? No. Most valuable, most precious, most to be desired of all beings in the universe. And therefore, I simply ask you, know Him. Know Him as God. Know Him as the most precious treasure in your life. Brothers and sisters, the back of pornography, the back of pornography will be broken. The back of pornography downtown will be broken. The back of pornography here in this room will be broken by the preciousness of God in our lives. You sit at your desk, you walk through the airport. You sit in your living room in front of the television with a little clicker in your hand. The question is, is he precious to me? I tell you, I have sat in a hundred hotel rooms by myself when I've been out speaking. All the movies are there available. All the TV is there available. And I've got to speak in the name of Jesus Christ in the morning. I tell you, the battles there are very great and God. Powerful. You get on your knees beside a bed and you say, Oh God, I will not stand before those people as a duplicitous, cowardly, caving shepherd. Cut off my hand. Gouge out my eye. I will not yield. Oh, come on. Let's be people who seek the lost and drop our nets. Let's be people who make light go up at Bethlehem downtown and here because we pour ourselves out for the poor, whether here or in Zimbabwe. And let's be people who refuse to be typed by any other group of liberal or conservatives who say, well, if you give yourself to that, you sure won't give yourself to massive efforts in sexual purity. Oh, yes, we will. Come on, Bethlehem. Let's do it. Father in heaven, please come in power and, and work in this room right now as we close in song. Oh Lord, give us one pure and holy passion. Give us one magnificent obsession 
Give us one glorious ambition for our lives. To know, to know, to know, to know. And in that sweet, all-satisfying knowledge, follow hard after you. In Jesus' name, we ask it.